We return this morning to James chapter 1, verses 19 to 22. James 1, 19 to 22. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. What? CNN? NBC? CBS? No. Swift to hear the word of God. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. Slow to speak what? The word of God. Slow, you betcha. Because there's 31,000 verses plus in the Bible, and the opportunity that you would have to abuse it for your own selfish purposes are great. Therefore, we teach our children, study to show yourself approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. What's that about? Verse 20. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls, said the people who are saved in soul, said to believers. Paul said to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, you pay attention to the Bible now, because it's able to save your soul and the soul of the people that hear you. Timothy was long saved before Paul ever said that. But Paul is talking about an element of salvation that relates to sanctification and that relates to the progression of a believer in growth and grace until ultimately done and before the Lord and that forever. But, verse 22, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own Father, there been many days in which this scripture has spoken to our hearts again and again and again and again, and it is unlikely that there's anybody here that hasn't heard at least part of this again and again and again, but how important it is today that we indeed understand the importance as believers that we receive with meekness the implanted word of God. Help us then in this hour as we seek to build upon the things previously studied. Help us in this hour to be better responding to the word of the living God. For that we praise you and ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Begotten by the word of truth, verse 18. The believer in Jesus is to perpetually receive the engrafted word, verse 21. The word wherefore, verse 19, and wherefore... Verse 21, help us to make this profound connection in the text. 
You've heard it said that the first rule of commercial real estate is location, location, location. And this text prompts me to point to you to the unique locations of the Word of God in relationship to the believer. Certainly, you and I, in this privileged day of massive amounts of printed material available to us, you and I have the written Word of God in our own hands. The Word of God is in our hands. And according to this text, the engrafted Word or the implanted Word is in our inner being as believers or in our heart. Where's the Word? In our hands. Where's the Word? In our heart. Uh, Where's the Word? Well, the living Word is in heaven seated at the Father's right hand. So when we think about the Word of God, we think about it here, and we should think about it here, and we should think about it there. Or if you will, we should think about our hands, we should think about our hearts, and we should think about heaven. The outstanding emphasis of this entire section, uh, James 1:19 to 22, uh, the, the, the primary emphasis is found in the phraseology of verse 21, receive with meekness the engrafted or implanted word. The regenerated individual has the word of God implanted in them. Before you and I were born again, the word of God found no place in us. The unregenerate person has no desire for the truth of God. But at verse 18 describes God of his own free will at a given point in time caused us to see the truth of Christ through the word of God and the gospel of God. Verse 21 indicates that this word of God received by the begotten or the begetting of God does not come and go. Let me say that in a different way. Once saved, always saved. The word is implanted in the heart of the person born again or born from above. Yet we are commanded in this text, to continue to receive it, to continue to receive the engrafted or implanted word of God. Uh, it, it strikes me just about every week, but particularly it strikes me, again, as I look at this particular text, of how that you and I are so uh, locked in uh, to the American English way of stating things, that when somebody says something to us in a little different order, we struggle with its clarity. So let me just see if I can help you by taking this text and just simply rearranging the statements uh, in the American way. All right? What are we talking about? What are we talking about in James 1, 19 to 21? We're talking about receiving with meekness, 
the engrafted word. We're talking about continuing to receive uh, the word of God that has been implanted within us. That is what we're talking about. Well, how is that accomplished? Well, in this text, uh, it tells us it's accomplished by paying attention to three things. Number one, uh, pay attention to common sense. Sensibility is number one. Uh, purity is number two. And uh, humility is number three. That's what we're talking about today. But let me back up and hit that again. Sensibility is verse 19. What makes sense in regards to you and me? What is sensible relative to receiving the implanted word of God? Well, what makes sense is, is that you be swift to hear it. That you be slow to speak it. And that you be slow to wrath. That's what makes sense. Anything else is insensible in relationship to the holy word of the living God. So verse 19 answers the question, how do we receive the implanted word? And it answers that question uh, uh, with talking about swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Last week. Uh, today, from verse 21, we're going to talk about purity, and we're going to talk about humility. But uh, uh, from a structure standpoint, what we're talking about is receiving the word of God uh, in this particular way, uh, sensibly, purity, humility, and making sure that we implement or engage the word of God as to its doing or practice and not just as to its hearing reality. Verse uh, 22. I like the fact that uh, Piper likens the word of God to oxygen in this regard. He says that oxygen is freely available to us and we all have some appreciation of its life-sustaining qualities, but still, we must breathe. If you stop breathing, the oxygen does your body no good. And if you stop receiving the word of God, it does your spiritual life no good. We continue to receive the implanted word in the sense that we allow it to govern us. We allow it to direct us. We allow it to, to uh, control us. It controls our belief. It controls and directs our behavior. It governs and directs our, our belief and our behavior and our being. Uh, the word implanted is to govern my creed, my conduct, and my character. The word of God is, uh, is implanted and it is to govern and to direct and to control uh, my doctrine and my deeds and my demeanor. I have not applied myself rightly to the word of God 
until I've thought about uh, the belief level and the behavior level and the being level and the creed level and the conduct level and the character level and the doctrine level and the, and the deed level and the demeanor level. I have to consider all of that as a part of receiving the engrafted word. It is in the light of that fact that the word of God has been implanted that James instructs believers as to how they must go about this important matter of receiving the implanted word of God. And again, as we said, in summary of these verses, we are to receive the implanted word with sensibility, verse 19, and with purity and humility, verse 21. Principle number one is to receive the engrafted word sensibly. And you bring sense, logic, reason to your reception of the implanted word when you are swift to hear the word of God, slow to speak the word of God, and slow to wrath. For wrath, your anger over uh, the aspect of others lacking embrace of the word of God doesn't accomplish the, the will of God. And so uh, uh, pay attention to sensibility. But principle two, where we start today, involves the relationship of personal purity to this idea of receiving the implanted or engrafted word of God. Purity. And so in verse 21 we read, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. The word of God is restricted in its work within the life of a believer if that believer consciously harbors sin. Sin is serious in the life of an unbeliever. Sin is serious in the life of a believer. Sin is a serious barrier to comprehending, applying, and living according to the word of God. God's instrument for transformation is the implanted word of God. The command at the beginning of verse 21 is to lay aside or lay apart, to get rid of or to delete. And the words are all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Interesting words. Uh, uh, lay aside or lay apart all filthiness. Uh, that word uh, is, uh, uh, it, it comes uh, in, in the idea of that which stinks. And, uh, and you could think about this being the skunk verse. And, uh, and uh, you are to lay aside uh, everything that, here's the old English word, befouls you. If you've ever cleaned a chicken, you may decline not to quickly eat the chicken after you've cleaned it. Unless, of course, you're really, really hungry. 
because there is a smell to foul. And here's an interesting English word. Uh, Don't think that you're going to receive much from the implanted word of God by means of of a, a process in which your life is befouled or dirty as to defilement, as to your deeds, as to your dispositions, as to your desires. I just gave you four words. All four are important. You can be defiled as to your deeds, your actions. You can be defiled as to your inner life, defilement. You can be defiled and, 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 uh, and befouled as to your disposition. We'd say bad attitude. And you can be befouled as to your personal desires. And in all four of those ways, the word of God, which is very succinct and brief, and really gives you all that in a single word, and the word in the English text is filthiness. And the old English word is befoul. And this word, as found in the Greek word, and the Greek language, has the idea of a broad element of defilement. God's word has the capacity to produce practical righteousness in us, but only by our cooperation as we deal with all matters of sinfulness as God exposes those matters to us. You and I, whenever aware of some sin, are to actively drag it to the trash. The very first computer I ever had caused you to click on the mouse and move the mouse from the thing that you were clicking on and literally drag it across your computer screen and drop it in the trash. And then after you had, had uh, clicked and dragged and dropped and clicked and dragged and dropped and clicked and dragged and dropped and that trash can was full, just like the trash can in my office, uh, somebody's got somebody's to empty that thing. And then you would click on the trash can, and it would open up, and then you could, you could empty the trash. And that's exactly what you and I are to do in relationship to all filthiness, to all elements of defilement, to all matters of deed and defilement and disposition and desires that run contrary to the word of God. We need to empty the trash by confessing it to the Lord, knowing that he is faithful to forgive us when we do. When we deal with sinful deeds, we deal with sinful defilements, we deal with sinful dispositions, when we deal with sinful desires, the word of God is unrestricted to do its transforming work by the Holy Spirit within us. This is the first word that designates that idea of how do you receive the word of God that's been implanted? You do it sensibly, verse 19. You do it with purity, verse 21. And then he goes on to say, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Now this is not talking about naughty children. 
This is talking about naughty dads. This is talking about naughty grandpas. This is talking about naughty men and naughty teens and naughty children. You might reserve the word naughty for kids, especially around this time of year, as a motivation to earn the gifts you're going to give them. But the reality is, is that the Bible word naughty here uh, uh, is preceded by the word superfluity. We don't use that word today. We would use the word superfluous. I like the word superfluity because it's easier to say. But nonetheless, we wouldn't use that word today, superfluity. We would use the word superfluous. And we wouldn't use the word naughty today. But we would probably use the two English words, hurtful desire. Laying aside all defilement and abundance of hurtful desire. When you or I have a desire to hurt somebody, maybe even ourselves, but to hurt someone, this calls for the laying aside, the putting off, the removing of all sinfulness, all deeds of the flesh, all defilements, all dispositions, all desires, including the abundance of hurtful desires. When my family gathers for the holidays, we rejoice in our opportunity, as do all families. You know that our opportunity is usually a little lesser than some. That's okay, because of the calling of God on our lives. But nonetheless, when we get together as a family, we do what families do. We eat, we talk, and we play games. And the game that is played every year at the Teal House is a game called Acquire. Uh, we landed on the game Acquire, Sherry and I did, back in our days in Cass City. We played it with our boys when they were young. Uh, we played it with our boys when they were teens. And today, anytime uh, my family from Ohio or my family from Florida gets together, we play a choir. And if there's any members of the family that can't gather, like this year, the family both in Ohio and Florida, part of the family in Ohio that couldn't come, and the family in Florida, uh, uh, when we play the game, we always report to them who won, who won a choir. It's something we do every single uh, time. And Acquire is a game of, of buying and selling motel chains. It's the goofiest game in the world, but it's really fun to play. And, uh, and one thing I say about games and competition is, I like to win. <laughs> and Sherry doesn't care. And it bugs me that Sherry doesn't care. But I care. And because I care, I always have, I always have, I always have a desire to cheat. Back in the days, got an amen down here, by the way. Uh, it wasn't an amen, it was mm-hmm, but nonetheless, it was there. Back in the days when Sherry and I were at Faith Baptist Bible College, and I would have my my uh, resident advisors, my RAs from the dorm over to the house for a meal, I always set them in the kitchen 
when we played a game, and, and uh, because they were oblivious to the fact that the whole wall, that whole wall where the kitchen table sat, was a big mirror, and I'd set them uh, around the mirror, and I could sit here, and I could see what was going on in every one of their hands, and they always wondered why I won. Well, because I cheated. <laughs> I used the mirror uh, back in those days. And, uh, of course, I always told them afterwards, but nonetheless, I cheated. And I have to tell you this, I enjoyed cheating. But when I play a choir, I would like to buy in a cheating manner. I'd like to sell in a cheating manner. I'd like to add up the numbers at the end of the game in a cheating manner. I'd like to cheat. Now what this says to me, what this Bible verse says to me is, I have to lay aside all befoulment, all the stinky sins of my life, and I must lay apart all the abundances of desire to cheat if I'm going to open God's word and get out of it what God would have for me and you. Purity is ever and always at issue. Think of how often you hear God's people say, I can't get anything out of it. Hmm. They may be telling you more than you want to know. Sensibility. Purity. Finally, humility. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. Now, this would be principle number three. If you want to put them down as principles, we could say that sensibility is necessary, James 1.19. We could say, principle number two, that purity is necessary. That'd be uh, uh, James 1.21a. And now we're saying that humility is necessary. Because the third principle involves the relationship of personal humility and the working of the word of God within the life of the believer. The word meekness, understood as gentleness oftentimes, is best represented by our word humility. The believer must maintain a teachable spirit if he or she is to progress and sustain spiritual vibrancy. One of the reasons why preachers, when they get old, can be so profoundly boring is because they've pulled something out of their sermonic file and they've regurgitated that which they have chewed in days gone by, but there is no taste of the food any longer in their palate. To be an effective preacher as an old one, 
means that you have to continue to do due diligence so that the flavor of the Word of God comes back into your mouth. And in order for the Word of God and its flavor to come back into the palate, you must present yourself before God with a teachable spirit. Because God will not teach the proud except to chasten them. And if you want to get something out of the Bible, if you want to receive the engrafted word, the implanted word of God, as the word of God commands you to do so, then you ought to pay attention to whether your spirit is teachable. You could go with me downstairs into the child's class and, uh, and uh, listen to the children when the story is beginning to be told and inevitably there will be a child or two who will say, heard this before. And of course you did hear it again, Jack. You did hear it again, Jill. But the reality is, you haven't really heard it at all. Because it's never about the hearing of the ear. It's about the reception of the heart. And as a child, you need to learn to hear. And it's hard. And as an adult, you need to learn to hear and keep hearing. And as, a, as an old person, you need to hear and keep hearing. One of the most phenomenal things in all my in all my life, by way of experience, was when I was a young buck preacher uh, in Cass City on the other side of the state, and uh, there was a pastor in the area uh, that was way up in years. Uh, he was way up in years. Uh, he was like nearly 70. Oh, I'm nearly 70. Uh, I better be careful here. But nonetheless, uh, he was way up in years, and uh, he had a last name that was Venerable. And, uh, and one day, uh, I had the occasion to meet with that venerable pastor. And I was shocked at the level of his angst and the level of his fears, both personally and ministerially. And I did not understand the nature of his fear or the nature of his angst until I recognized that he was no longer receiving the implanted word, though still preaching. At what point in time can you lay back with nesty, icy in a, in a spiritual uh, lounge and just coast in your life and be spiritually okay? Never! Never! There is no such thing as spiritual retirement. And if you do try to retire once you're an old goat, preacher or not, 
what will happen is you'll have sins you haven't had for years. You'll have fears you haven't had for years. You'll have angst you haven't had for years. And all those things will pile right back up on you because, because of the fact that you are not receiving the word of God in real time in your life. And to receive the word of God in your life in real time, you've got to be sensible about it. Verse 19, you have to pay attention to purity. Verse 21a, you have to pay attention to humility. Verse 21b, we've long taught you that humility is one of the primary characteristics associated with godliness. The possessing of a kindly mind toward God must precede our reception of the word. If we do not love him, right now, fear him, now, hunger for him, right now, his word cannot work properly within us. Let me quote the best two Bible Johns in this generation. The best two Bible Johns in this generation are MacArthur and Piper. Let me quote them. Mac, the faithful Christian is to receive the word implanted with a submissive, gentle, and teachable spirit. Cleanse the pride, resentment, anger, and every form of moral corruption. End quote. Piper. The opposite of receiving the word with meekness would be to receive it suspiciously because you doubt that all of it is true and good for you or to receive it partially because you want to reserve the right to pick and choose the parts you like. Or to receive it with a cocky self-assurance that you can understand it, do understand it, and can apply it without God's merciful help. Every right-minded pastor in every pulpit, in every local church, Praise, help me, Lord. Every child of God that walks the planet in light of Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or any other name day of the week must pray the prayer, help me, Lord. You never get beyond, help me, Lord. And if you do, you really need the Lord's help. God is faithful in all his ways, in every blessing and in every affliction. As this passage says, God is good. The word receive simply means to welcome. It is exactly the same word that describes those that responded in faith 
during the days of the Lord Jesus on earth. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. It is one of the great gospel words of correct response, and it is used interchangeably with the word believe. We that have received the Lord Jesus, the living word of God, are to regularly and perpetually receive from the written word of God, letting it inform and, in, and, uh, and increase uh, the reality of the embrace of the implanted word of God within us. The implanted word of God is what enables you to receive the written scriptures, which will strengthen you and grow you and guide you day by day. This word of God implanted, saved you from the penalty of sin and is saving you from the power of sin until the day that you are saved from the presence of sin. According to James 1, 21, see, it, it is able to save your souls. It is able, the word able, dunamis, powerful capability, it is powerful to save you. The word of God will save you now in whatever way you need saving. Therefore, or as the text says, wherefore, receive the implanted word with sensibility, purity, and humility. Otherwise, you will experience the spiritual equivalent of shortness of breath. You and I need to learn to breathe the Bible. You and I need to breathe the Bible deeply. Spiritual life is greatly enhanced when you and I pay attention to our breathing exercises. If you go to the hospital with shortness of breath, the first thing they do is they pop these two little plastic things in your nostrils connected to a cord that goes up over your ears and they increase the intake of your oxygen so that you can breathe easier and have the benefit of such breathing. And when you and I come to the aspect of distress, we need to take a hold of the written word of God and bring it right back into the reality of our hearts so that it will help us to breathe spiritually easier as we deal with the issues of today's distress. And when you consider the word of God, be sensible about it. Don't go to the word of God and flip to this page and flip to that page and read this verse and read that verse and get all messed up in your mind because of the fact it's also confusing. It's confusing because you're confused uh, before you start. No, be sensible about it.
And pay attention to your purity. Tell the Lord of your inconsistency and the haphazardness of your walk. Confess your sin, knowing that he's faithful and just to forgive your sin. And then, pay attention to your humility. After all, you're dealing with God. You're dealing with God's word. This is not a book that was produced by men. This is the book that came from God. And you're dealing with relationship with God. Be humble. Be teachable. Be open to the word of God. Yeah, but pastor, I'm 90. I don't care. God don't care. Be open. Be teachable. Until you draw your last breath. Keep breathing until you don't breathe at all. Keep believing. Keep receiving until you don't receive or believe at all because faith has gone by the wayside and love, the love of God, is in then deed forever. That's it. Isn't that a cool truth to see in the scripture? Wow. No wonder. The pledge of the heart would be, I own no other master. My life, oh God, my life shall be thy throne. That logic cannot prevail in me or you, apart from the word of God, received sensibly with purity with humility. Father, help us to understand and more than understand, help us to receive the word of God which is able to save our souls. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.